0: Heavenly Father, when when you speak, worlds are made. When you speak, lives are transformed. Uh, So we pray this morning as we consider this one verse, this verse about acceptance, we pray that you would speak and you would change us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When we, um, when we talk about I- ideas of acceptance or, or welcome um, in our world at the moment, um, it seems to me there are two perhaps equal and opposite places that our culture goes to, that our culture slips into. Um, it's very much an all or nothing world, so it's all on one side. You welcome me, then you accept me. You completely wholeheartedly must accept everything about me. I'm just doing me. Uh, and if you don't welcome or accept me, then you're not accepting the real me. You're not allowed to question any as- aspect of that as-, as you welcome me. If you disagree with me, then you're not accepting the real me. It's not authentic. That- that's one side, that's this side. The other side is over here, which says, well, it's nothing. So it's all or it's nothing. That is, it's cancel culture. Our culture doesn't accept people because of what they believe or say or who they are. A particular thing about them. Maybe it's your past or your background or your skin colour or your privileges or or something that you hold to or adhere to or you believe or you say. We talked last week about something of the the emotional polarised nature of our culture at the moment, of, of public discourse. So we don't, we're not able to engage very well with ideas that we don't like. We don't learn and grow and nuance and sharpen our thinking, but we're fragile. And so we mute people, or we unfollow people, or we cancel people, or we deplatform them. I've seen friends and family on Facebook who have been friends for many years, who have fallen out about something small, um, and it's kind of game over. 15 years of friendship down the drain. So if you aren't the right kind of person, or you don't believe the right kind of things, then whatever that means in this week, for this cultural moment, then you are cancelled. Maybe it's marriage or sexuality or gender or COVID or free speech or politics or climate change or the environment or all those kind of hot topics. You're not accepted and you can be removed. So it seems it's very much an all or nothing. Either it's accept me and everything about me, don't question anything, or it's the other end, it's no, You believe the wrong thing, so you are removed. There's no middle ground. Actually, it's one of the things I love about Jesus. The kind of people he hung out with, the individuals that he had dinner with, the company that he kept that turned heads. He was despised of being, he was sorry, despite being um, accused of being a glutton and a drunkard, he welcomed and he accepted people. He loved them, he loved the so called unclean. Think of the traitorous tax collectors in league with the Romans, deceitful and disloyal. Or think of the the prostitutes or the adulterous or those seen as religiously or, or racially impure, the unrighteous, those who knew they needed a doctor. And he welcomed them, and yet his presence didn't leave them unchanged. Isn't that striking? Think of Zacchaeus. Come down from the tree, Zacchaeus. I'm going to have dinner with you, Zacchaeus. And then Zacchaeus ends up paying back and restoring more than he had to in terms of Old Testament law. More than he needed to. Jesus welcomes and accepts him and he's transformed. Think of the unnamed woman caught in adultery in John's Gospel. And gently Jesus says, well, I don't condemn you, but go away and sin no more. I guess we don't have to stay in the pages of Scripture either, do we? That will be many of our own experiences. Jesus welcomes us and accepts us in the midst of the the mess and the mayhem and the muddle, and he loves us. But he loves us too much to let us stay where we are. Tangled up in our own self and our own sins and our own shortcomings and sufferings. And he accepts us, but in such a way that we're not left unchanged. He knows you better than you do. He loves you more than you do. And so he won't leave you where you are. And I think that must be something of our background for our verse for today. It comes from Paul's letter to the Romans. It's a long letter. Um, Paul had never met the church in Rome. He's not visited them before, but he's heard, he's heard all about them. And after 11 chapters of kind of beautiful, slow, passionate, working through the gospel. He says, look, everyone's guilty before God, and yet the good news of this is for everybody. It's sin's forgiven, it's reconciliation, it's Jesus for you, whoever you are. And he zooms in in 12 to 16 on some of their wobbles and their struggles, and one of which, it seems, as it was common at the time, division in the church family. Um, we talked a bit about it in our first sermon from this series, remember, in Galatia, where you have Peter stopping eating with the Gentile believers. We thought a bit about it last term as well in Ephesians. What does a local church look like when you've got these historic enemies who are now in the same room together, and not just in the same room, but committed to each other, loving each other, for each other? What does mealtime look like when your identity has been tied up in who you eat with and what you eat? And suddenly you can eat with anybody and you can eat whatever you like. So in Rome it seems there's this big discussion going on about food sacrifice to idols. Um, it's particularly there in chapters kind of thirteen and fourteen particularly. You go to the market, you buy some meat, and lots of it will have been slaughtered in kind of pagan temple in religious rituals. And the majority are saying, and Paul says they're right, while well, food sacrifice to idols are nothing, because idols are nothing; they don't matter because Jesus is Lord. He trumps them. He is bigger. Any pseudo power that they have is nothing compared to him. So you can eat the food. But then this is a striking thing. He says, the weak, and he's not saying weak in a pejorative way. He's saying weak as in a kind of tender conscience. Those who are struggling to tuck into meat now, well, you need to look after them. I mean, think of it. It's uh, it's warm. It's summer. We're outside. It's barbecue time for church. Elizabeth has done her thing we're all queuing up, everyone else is enjoying themselves, you've got plates overflowing, it's great. And then there's just a group there. they can't bring themselves to tuck in. They've, They've never eaten food like that before. That's never been a thing for them, they've never been allowed to. They've always been so careful, they've always been so meticulous. Probably it's to do with convictions about what's clean and what's unclean from their Jewish background. And cleanness in Romans seems to be to do with diet and to do with days. Diet, what could or could not be eaten. Days would be special seasons, special days of, of kind of worship for the Lord. Foods that you've never been able to eat that you now can. Days where you've never been able to do what you wanted but you now can. You've always observed and celebrated something on those days. And Paul's conclusion is really relevant. He says, "In your, in love... Use your gospel freedom to serve others. I'll say that again. In love, use your gospel freedom to serve others. Don't use your gospel freedom in a way that's selfish or that bulldozes others, because you might be in the right. Paul says you can eat any kind of meat. You might be in the right, but you use your gospel freedom in a way that serves them and shows your love for them. And don't divide over disputable matters. Don't not accept them because they're wrong. And where the culture of the world says you stand on your rights and you argue your case and you get your way, the culture of the church says you look after the weakest and you protect the most vulnerable. You go at the pace of the slowest. It's what's to make us different. In love, use your gospel freedom to serve others. That's always to be the posture for the Christian. That's always to be the culture inside churches. Don't divide over disputable matters. Have a listen again as Esther read it for us, verse 5, 6 and 7 of um, chapter 15. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, So that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. God has accepted them. Now you need to accept them. And it doesn't take much, does it, to work out. That principle is still really important for us. Um, In our world, in our divided world at the moment, where everything is so ratcheted up so quickly, it's got implications. Do pray for us this week as we think through um, masks and COVID and distancing in light of the new legislation and all of that. Wherever you end up, though, we are to be a people who use our gospel freedom to serve others. Before we just put verse 7 under the microscope... Let me just back up and remind us what we're doing in this series. For some of you, this is your first time here. Um, usually at Morden Road Church, we go through books of the Bible. It seems that God has given us books, so it seems to make sense that we work our way through books. Um, that kind of seems to make sense to us. But if you've been around in previous weeks, you'll know at the moment we're just looking at basically a verse each week. We're slowing right down, and through January and February, we are considering, as Liz mentioned, something of the disconnect that there can be in our Christian lives when we, when we believe something, We teach something, we say something, and yet the message of our lives can be quite different. There's a disconnect between what we stand for and then what we do through the week, or the way that we treat people. The message of our lives doesn't match up to the message of our mouths. So we can say, our God's mercy is such an amazing thing, isn't it? And then we're not merciful with each other. Or we can say, I love grace. Grace. I just love receiving grace from the Lord and then we're not gracious in the way that we respond to people who we don't like or who frustrate us or who disagree with us. And we kind of forget who we now are. So we've said this muscle memory kicks in and we do it the way we've always done it. And it becomes about self, about me and about what I think. And it's as if we're still in Adam rather than being in Christ. It's as if we're still living for the flesh rather than living for Christ. And again, if you've been here, you might remember um, this slightly silly example of a, of a celebrity who's gone vegan for 2022, and then it all goes wrong in April because they go to a particular restaurant because it's their birthday, and they always have a milkshake and fries and a steak. And they sit down in the restaurant with their family, and muscle memory kicks in, and they have ugh, a milkshake and fries and a steak. They don't even notice. They've not realised. They've not realised they're a vegan now. And we kind of roll our eyes at them and think, oh, I would never do that. I mean, that's, that's just stupid. I mean, how could you forget that? And then you look back at last week and you think, how did I treat that person? Oh, what I said about them, or what I thought about them, or what I did to them even. And we forget that we're new people now. And it's as if we're sat in the restaurant eating steak when, we, when we're a new person. It's as if we've forgotten who we now are, and we're living the old life again. And thankfully the Lord doesn't roll his eyes at us. Come with me to 15 verse 7. Let's zoom in. As we last time, we're going to break it up into smaller sections and we're going to kind of marinate on each section if you like. Just chew it over. Reflect upon it. Think about some of the implications for us. You'll see the verse splits into three. It's accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. So accept one another, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. We're going to start, sorry for the vegan illustration, we're going to start with the meat in the middle though. We're going to go for just as Christ accepted you initially. That really is the kind of foundation for the command. That's what it all hangs off. So we're going to go there first. Hopefully you can see that on the slide. I don't know how you're doing at the moment, but hear this please. If you are a believer this morning, if you are trusting Jesus however imperfectly, however falteringly, then he accepts you. He lovingly accepts you, he welcomes you if you're a believer. Not on the basis of anything that you've done, but simply because of his own love for you. Nothing that you bring to the party, you can't be there because, oh, look at my my family heritage, five generations of churchgoers, or look at my financial status, look how much we give to the church, or look how much we serve at church, or look at my political views, or my skin colour, or my gender, or background, or education, or preferences, or personality, or how long I've been a Christian, or how much I've prayed this week, or what kind of education you have or don't have, or how holy people think you are. Nothing like that. He doesn't accept you for your track record. And he accepts you, even though he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows the reality and the depths of your dysfunction and my dysfunction. He knows the the depths of our sin and our selfishness, and our suffering. He knows the reality of the depths of our self-deceit and the lies that we tell ourselves. We try and help ourselves to believe, and and yet he welcomes us. Arms open wide, smile on his face. And maybe I say that and you feel a bit uncomfortable because it just feels a bit uncomfortable. Touchy feely sort of. But you look back on this last week perhaps, or you look back on this last month, or this last season, and you struggle to accept that acceptance. Maybe even you don't accept yourself. You think maybe it's one sin too many, one sin too big, too many skeletons in my closets, too much baggage, too much background, too much of a wandering heart, too many doubts, too much up and down, too lukewarm. And he says, I accept you. Maybe you've always struggled to accept his acceptance. Have a listen to um, the 19th century Baptist minister Spurgeon speaking on this verse. I love this. He says, Christ did not receive us because we were perfect, because he could see no fault in us, because he hoped to gain something at our hands. No, no. But in loving condescension, covering our faults and seeking our good, he welcomed us to his heart. Okay, so that's the first point. That's the middle of the verse. Just as Christ accepted you, you are accepted. Let's go back to the start of the verse now. And so accept one another then. Because he's accepted us, So we, as the body of Christ, are to be a community that accepts others and that welcomes them. Again, that doesn't mean that we don't challenge or critique or disagree. As we've said, Jesus encountered people and he welcomed them and he loved them and he accepted them, but he loved them too much to leave them where they were. He knows that we are not finished. He knows that God is at work in us, changing us and transforming us. Patiently conforming us more into the likeness of Jesus. But it does mean that people know they're valued and accepted and loved. As Christians, we are to be a people who accept others. Do you know, I'm not sure that those outside the church would believe that often from what they see as they look at us. whether it's because we don't accept other churches, because we differ on aspects of theology or whether we don't accept people from a different class, or different background, or different skin colour, or different education. or We are great at dividing. Christians are brilliant at it. It's almost like we're known for it. There was a man walking in the woods one day, and he sees another man sat on a stump. In floods and floods and floods of tears, greatly distressed. And so the, the man who's walking through the forest starts to ask him questions. He says, what's going on? He says, well, I'm not sure what I'm here for. I'm not sure what I've got to live for. And he says, well, there's loads to live for. Are you, I mean, are you religious at all? Or, or, or are you an atheist? He says, oh, no, I'm religious. Oh, brilliant. Okay, are you, I don't know, are you a, a Christian or a Buddhist? He says, I'm a Christian. Oh, me too. It's brilliant. Are you, are you Catholic or are you Protestant? I'm, uh, I'm Protestant. Me too. Brilliant. Are you Anglican or Baptist? I know there are Presbyterians, but are you Anglican or are you Baptist? I'm, I'm Baptist. Me too. Are you Baptist Church of God or Baptist Church of the Lord? Baptist Church of God. That's brilliant. Are you the original Baptist Church of God or are you the Reformed Baptist Church of God? <laughs> I'm Reformed Baptist Church of God. Me too. Are you Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1879, or Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915? He says, I am Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915. And the first guy says, oh, never mind then. And he walks off. And Jesus says, by your love for one another, the world will know that you're mine. And very often we don't, and so they don't. Accept one another then. I have to say one of the amazing things about Morgan Road is that there is this beautiful diversity among us in many ways. Not as much as we would like, but there is lots. And it's a rare treasure. It's something you don't often find in churches. We could disagree about all kinds of things. And maybe in conversation we do, and that's okay. It doesn't mean we don't ignore the kind of things that we disagree over or don't talk about them. They're secondary. They're not front and centre. They're not the things that we divide over. So in this room, and in other rooms, I guess, and at home even, um, you will find a breadth of opinion on all kinds of things, a breadth of preferences when it comes to Bible translation. Some of you are sat there with ESV, some of you are sat there on NIV, some of you are sat there on Facebook, we can see you. Um, but, but there will be differences in terms of the Bible translation that we, we care about. We, we care about that passionately, and that's okay. There will be differences in terms of charismatic gifts. There will be a kind of spectrum among us. There will be differences in terms of our understanding of the role of women in church. There will be differences in terms of our preferred type of music in church. Or the best or most biblical type of church government. Or the best or most biblical type of baptism. Or indeed feelings about how the government has mishandled the last 24 months. Or handled the last 24 months. But we know something of how Jesus has accepted us and loved us and welcomed us. And I hear from folk who come and visit that as people kind of try us out, even if they don't stick around, they feel accepted and welcomed. I love that. At least that's the feedback that gets to me. Maybe people are just being kind. But they feel valued as they come and try us out. And that's fine for them to go elsewhere. There are other great churches in Oxford. And I say this to myself, as I say it to you, let's keep welcoming, let's keep accepting, let's keep loving people well, because it can be exhausting, but let's keep knowing that we have been accepted by Christ, and so we then love and welcome and accept others as Christ has accepted us. It's easy to pull back, it's easy to keep your distance, and being in Oxford, we might only have people for a time. We might just know them for a year or two or three or five. And yet let's keep loving and pouring into them. That we might then send them on to the Lord's kingdom elsewhere. Love them while we have them. Why do we do this? We do this because of the final bit of the verse. In order to bring praise to God. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. So we have been accepted by Jesus, and so we accept people in that way. Why? So God is glorified, so he is praised. Paul's goal is never a kind of PR stunt or, I don't know, wanting good human relations or sort of a diversity drive or something. His ultimate aim, his goal, is that the glory of God will be displayed, that God will be praised because of the way that they accept each other. That is his ultimate aim, that the greatness of God will be seen in kind of glorious technicolour. He's already said, actually, back in the end of chapter 11, if you know Romans at all, that of God, all things are from him and through him and to him. It it is all for him, whether our little lives and the stuff we do day by day, and each little second of each day, or actually as a church gathering, as the way the church communicates and lives together whether people are welcomed and accepted. It all serves this bigger purpose of being for him, from him, through him, to him, that he's glorified. I was reflecting this week on that, and it seems to me we mustn't mustn't ignore the flip side of that. When we're not welcoming, when we are not accepting, when we're not loving people, when the church is cliquey or judgmental or hypocritical or divided, or when people feel bulldozed or taken advantage of or ignored, when people come along and feel excluded, then there's something else being communicated. And our actions are telling a different story, and God is not glorified and not praised. It seems to me that really matters. You've got a cynical watching world looking in at the church, in many ways crying out for mercy and grace. And yet they look at churches so often and kind of roll their eyes and go, Well, they, you know, I knew it. That's, that's just the church, like every other human institution. They have nothing to offer us. And yet, it's our prayer that as we are countercultural, as we love and welcome and accept, people will indeed bring their praise to God because they see something of what He is like. They see something of the acceptance that we have received, and so the acceptance that we then pour out. They look at us, they receive our welcome, and so they see something of Him and His welcome. And that is countercultural, that is very different from our world at the moment. The welcome, acceptance, and love that leads to God being glorified points to something bigger. As we welcome and accept and love, and as God is glorified in our little church here in East Oxford, so that points ahead to something to come. Just a glimpse, just a taster. Have a listen to where it's all going to go, and here we'll finish. Listen to this. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, all all kinds of people from all over the world, from right down the pages of history, all the kind of people Jesus has welcomed and accepted. And yet living together, one day, gathering and praising him. That's that's where it's going. That is the reality to come. Let's ask that God will help us to be a taster of that now. Let me pray. Lord, we're sorry for sometimes the way in which we don't accept people as we ought. We don't love, we don't welcome. We're sorry even for ways we've done that in the last week. And yet we thank you for your loving acceptance of us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your patience. We pray that increasingly as we know that gospel reality, as we are shaped by your love for us, so we might be increasingly accepting and so point others to, to what you're like, that you might be praised, that you might be glorified. And we thank you too, Lord, that your acceptance of us, your love for us, your welcome of us doesn't mean that You don't want us to change. Indeed, it means that you love us too much to leave us as we are. And so we pray that you would be at work in us. We pray that that good work that you started, that you would finish. We pray that your spirit would increasingly be transforming us. That we might increasingly be shaped into the likeness of Jesus. We pray that for us as individuals and for us as a church family. And we pray that that future glimpse of what's to come as well, that reality of people from every nation and tribe and language, such diversity and yet unity gathered around your throne, gathered before the Lamb, with that vision of what's to come, with that hope of the future. increasingly shape us now we long to increasingly be a a better glimpse of that and when we get that wrong we thank you again that you accept us be at work in us we pray in jesus name amen